Hi, you're listening to Kill the Cat. Welcome to episode two of our Marvel Madness series. Today, we're talking about one of the most ambitious Marvel movies of phase four, Spider-Man No Way Home, and how to do great fan service. Obviously, spoilers ahead for No Way Home and other Marvel films, but now sit back and enjoy the episode. Welcome to this episode of Kill the Cat. Today we are talking about Spider-Man, Spider-Men. We're talking about No Way Home. Spider cubed. I remember math sometimes. <laughs> I mean, your dad's a mathematician, so you should probably... I made some maths videos for him. They're on my YouTube channel. <laughs> I helped. You did. So today we are talking about fan service because No Way Home was... Essentially, the ultimate fan service movie uh, managed a compelling story for Holland uh, while allowing us to kind of enjoy and reminisce on our time spent with Toby and Andrew in the role. Uh, I was a Toby Spider-Man kind of guy. I, that's what I grew up with. I missed the Andrew Garfield thing until I went and rewatched them before seeing No Way Home. And I was not really a Spider-Man person until Tom Holland and the MCU if you had told me like two years ago that my most successful piece of writing ever is a Spider-Man fanfic, <laughs> I would not have believed you, but there we are. Yeah. But yeah, so this movie really lent into being a movie for fan service. And I know, I feel like there is a sort of negative connotation when it comes with the term fan service. Fan service can be a bit cheap and has come from a history of being like just meaning it was hypersexualized. Yeah, so it came from like Japan anime and manga like fan service was essentially putting the characters in sexy outfits or situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have adapted that to just kind of mean anything that is put in a piece of media to please fans. Yeah. Is fan service. So things like cameos, callbacks, payoffs, easter uh, eggs. Easter eggs, like all of that. It's just, it's there for the fans, the people who've been there following along for a long time who are going to recognize that and be like, I understood that reference. Yes. Uh, but like you said, it's got a bit of a negative connotation. Uh, I think Star Wars definitely comes to mind. As I the- don't know why you would say no, that. No, of course not. Um, they planned out that entire nine movie series perfectly. Of course, Rise of Skywalker tried to do a lot of fan service and kind of didn't end up pleasing anyone. Mm-hmm. We had The Last Jedi, who in a lot of ways tried to do the opposite and subvert a lot of the fans' expectations, and fans didn't like that either. And we, of course, have Game of Thrones, yeah. which we've talked about on the podcast before, and how that ended. It didn't end. It's, we're still waiting for season eight. I don't know what you're talking about. Of course. Yes. Yeah. That ending didn't happen. And in amongst those two franchises... Well, firstly, we've got Endgame, yeah. filled with a lot of lovely uh, fan service, and it was called a love letter to fans. Mm. Um, and just, I loved the premise so much of, oh, we need to get the Infinity Stones from the past. We're going to go through old movies yes. and settings yeah. and see how much the characters have grown. And then, arguably, No Way Home did that even better. Should we talk about the cinema experience? Should we start there? Yeah, I was going to end there, but I think it's a good place to start. Yeah. Uh, we went and saw this together. Yes. Opening night. We did. It was one of the best cinema experiences I've been to. I have been to other opening night uh, screenings. So I went and saw The Force Awakens. We're banging on Star Wars. But um, that movie holds a special place for me because I went and saw the, like, 
the Australian fan club midnight screening of that movie and it was one of the best experiences. Like, everyone just loved being there, seeing everything happening. Like, you're hearing gasps and silence from the crowd and cheering. Um, I remember, yeah, when we, like, when Toby, even when they just opened up the portal for uh, Toby to come through. Was it Toby who came through first? It was no, Andrew, Andrew sorry. Well, for another Spider-Man. Everyone was just losing it. And then when he actually stepped through, we were all, yeah. Everyone cheered. Also, just for clarity, I think we're going to call them Tom, Toby and Andrew. Yeah. Because I know they're Peter 1, Peter 2, Peter 3. And in the script, they're like Web Peter, Webb's Peter and Raimi Peter. Um, so we're just going to call them Andrew, Toby and Tom. Yeah. To help um, identify which Peter Parker we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, because I can't remember which one is Peter 2 or Peter 3. Well, Garfield is Peter 3. <laughs> because that doesn't make sense. And he's like, okay. It worked for them. But yes, um, everyone cheered. People cheered when Charlie Cox came on the screen. Yes. The applause when Andrew Garfield caught MJ. Oh my God. That, I had tears at that moment. Like just as she's falling and he's trying to change. I was like, ah. And then she's like, are you okay? And he just nods and he's like teary eyed. The emotions. Um, the like amount of like reactions to the memes, like the pointing. Yeah. yeah, this was an absolutely phenomenal fan experience. It's also one of the few movies I've walked out of and been like, I have no faults. I have no criticism. I just want to get excited about this with my friends. Yeah. We both, you know, give feedback and critique movies on the podcast. I work as a script reader. It's very hard to turn that part of my brain off in a movie. Mm. It's why I like Marvel, because I can often do it for Marvel movies, but I'm often going, oh, this could have been better with this or this. Mm. Nothing for this film. Nothing at all. Just excitement and joy. Yeah. And like, this part and this part. And when they did this. I have my criticisms, but I, I really don't care all that much about them because I'm like, for what it did for fans, the viewing experience was easily just outweighed any criticisms I would have had of the movie. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and that comes from someone who usually hates it when people talk in movies. So... <laughs> So we're going to sort of break down, I guess, some of the things that we feel like if you're going to try and please your fans, if you're writing material that's got a fan base, what are some of the things you can take away? Well, what did this movie do that made it so successful amongst fans? Yes, when um, other franchises have tried to do the same thing and failed spectacularly. <laughs> quite spectacularly. I think the first thing we need to do is acknowledge that like, No Way Home is part of something bigger. Right. And that's probably our first big point is like if you're going to do fan service and if you're going to do a piece of media that really leans into that, make sure it's not just fan service. Make it part of something bigger. So No Way Home, while it is doing a lot of the fan service, it is also telling the story of Tom learning the Spider-Man lesson, which is that with great power comes great responsibility. I think this is the best example of that having been done in film because the stakes are so high for Tom Holland's Spider-Man and like he probably takes the biggest emotional beating in learning this lesson. He loses Aunt May. He's trying to help the, the villains from these other Spider-Men who he could easily just send back home. 
and mm. not his responsibility. Doctor Strange is telling him to do that as well. Yeah. Like, who's the superhero he's looked up to for a long time. Yeah. There is actually the risk of, like, the damage it could do to the multiverse. And, like, there are bigger stakes than just his own universe here. And yet Aunt May still says, you have a responsibility to them. You don't get to just leave them. Um, and she dies for that. And so, yeah, th this to me was, like, the one that has done that, the Spider-Man theme, the best. And we also really felt Aunt May, because we've had two, three movies, because she's in Civil War. Mm. So we've had three movies with her and we also didn't expect it the way we would expect an Uncle Ben. So yeah. I really felt that for Peter. I was like, that was so unexpected. That seemed to come out of nowhere, but mm. not in terms of plot writing, but in terms of for character. Yeah, 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 totally. It is a bigger part of his story. The movie is still really accessible to people who aren't super familiar. So like I went and saw it with my wife after we saw it and she had seen, I think, the first Garfield Spider-Man movie and then we rewatched the Holland ones. And then we went and saw it. She, like, there was nothing for her that was like, oh, I really don't understand what's happening here. Like, it was still, people who are new to the franchise could still enjoy the movie and still get something out of it. The themes of the movie are put at the forefront and Peter's just, like, there's a lot of growing. And so this movie matters not just for fans, but actually for the character that it's about. And I did that interesting thing of it, I'm going to put in quote marks, corrected, um, problems some fans had with Holland's Spider-Man. Mm. Uh, this is not a problem I personally had, but I understand why certain fans did, of like, he has access to Tony Stark's, you know, tech, mm. and he's part of the Avengers, and this really stripped that all away to the point where we just got Peter being Spider-Man at yeah. the end, striking out on his own with no backup. I really love how the movie ends with, it's like Peter's back to sewing his own outfit. Yeah. He's back to friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Which is very interesting. And hopefully they bring Holland back somewhere in the MCU. I imagine they will. Yes. We were discussing before we want to see a, uh, a Holland and like okay, Kate Bishop, Bishop That would be crossover. amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they'd do. Look, they're in the same place. Like yeah. he swings past the big Christmas tree that comes down in Hawkeye. They're very close together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rogers and, the musical and, posters everywhere. Yeah, and Wilson Fisk is around. I, True. I'm a bit over him as a villain in the shows, but he's a good. He's a Spider-Man villain and he's a Kate Bishop villain, so it's potential. It's super fun. Yeah. And this just didn't do fan service for Marvel, mm. although it did, and there was a lot of you know we got Charlie Cox, yeah. super fun. Um, I'm the, a really good liar. We got the Rogers the musical posters, but we also yeah. got things like Dummy um, from like. Iron Man 12 years ago. Yeah. Um, so Happy's still got a lot of that tech. Um, little things like Peter's wearing the I Survived My Trip to New York City t-shirt. Tony yeah. buys him in the first movie. That's all the Marvel stuff. But it does more than Marvel fan service. It does Spider-Man fan service. Mm. We all knew that Toby and Andrew were going to be in this movie. I don't think we really expected them to be in so much of the movie. I, I was really excited to see them, but I was like, this is going to be a two or three minute cameo where they appear for a bit and then they're gone. And that's going to be it. It's going to be fun, but that's what they'll do because that's what they always do. That never actually matters. But they went for it. They're in like half of the movie. And Once they show up, they're there. Yeah. Yeah, which is awesome. Without like detracting from say like Ned and MJ and even like Doctor Strange in this movie I had a note as well that there are no new characters in this movie mm. which is really cool um, that's such a unique opportunity to be like we're just going to use existing characters in a sequel yeah well because normally you pull more characters into the sequel to make it more interesting but yeah. this is 
Yeah, and bringing Andrew and Toby as well, like you mentioned in your notes that like fans for those series didn't really get a lot of closure like spider-man 3 was it was a choice jazz spider-man yeah was some interesting choices and then the amazing spider-man 3 never got made and this movie like it actually really used the opportunity to provide some closure for them and that that was a point that i had it was like use the opportunity um toby got to be a mentor to the other Spider-Man. And, you know, we learned that he actually managed to sort things out with MJ and he's found a balance in his life of being Spider-Man, but also having a life outside of that. And Andrew, he's, you know, avoided trying to find a relationship because he doesn't feel like he can be both Peter Parker and Spider-Man. We get Andrew saving MJ, which is just this like beautiful moment. And you know exactly what's happening. Uh, it's, yeah, it's phenomenal. You're amazing. Thanks. I really needed to hear that. <laughs> Just someone to come in and hype him up. Yeah. Yeah, because obviously Amazing Spider-Man 2 ends on a very strange note. Mm. When Stacy dies, he's sad. The rhino comes. You're like, okay, final battle. And then just cuts to credits. Yeah. In a really abrupt and sudden. And then we never got to see Andrew again until this movie Mm. so yeah it felt really nice to not only round out tom's arc but to bring in toby and andrew's arc and then i would argue give a better ending to the original villains it's just a much kinder ending Mm. for them which is what the end which is um what the no way home is really pushing for they said it's it would be so easy for peter to just follow dr strange's instructions and send them home Mm. because that's their fate they're yeah. villains. They die. Um, yeah, and it takes a lot of courage and May's death and the other kind of Peters gathering around him to be like, no, I'm going to save these people. Hmm. Even Green Goblin after he just killed May. You yeah. get that amazing moment where um, Toby saves him instead of mm. killing him. Yeah. Not that he really killed him in the first one. It was... No, well, I mean... Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's... They got in a fight and Green Goblin died. Hmm. Toby got to save him. They all got cured. They all got sent home. Yeah. Obviously, Tom Peter pays for that choice. But yeah, it was a lot kinder and I think more fulfilling ending for all the characters. Yeah. I appreciate that it wasn't like happy ending for everyone. Like Peter pays a price at the end in that now no one remembers who he is. And he like he loses MJ and Ned. Uh, yeah. And I liked the dynamic between... Um, Doctor Strange and, and Holland as well in that ending of, like, Doctor Strange didn't want to lose him either. No, like, was like, was like, he said he loved him. Yeah. What I also liked is um, kind of going into, like, making the most of this opportunity. Okay, yes, we round off some character arcs that, you know, were left incomplete or maybe a bit course-corrected. But we also got fun things like... Toby and Andrew just get to hang out yeah. without Tom for, like, solid sections of this movie, mm. which I thought was so fun, the chiropractor bit. <laughs> yeah, it's like taking the time to have fun with it because if you're going to do a movie like this, if you're going to do something that is for the fans, then spend the time doing it well and let the fans just have their things. But, yeah, it's like they, uh, <laughs> they're like, you were in a band? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you're in a team? <laughs> You went to space. <laughs> I want to find an alien. What I mean, but I'm still stuck on you found an alien in space. You guys are so cool. <laughs> that of you have fun things like Sandman and Electro have a conversation yeah. about got to be careful where you fall. Yeah. So obviously you can't do everything. You can't have every character interact. Oh, but like you have Ned's reaction to hearing what Harry Osborn did. 
Like, that's really fun. Yeah, pulling lines and references from other movies, The Power of the Sun and The Power, the power mm, of My I'm Hand, trying to do better. But another point we had, like, all of this is lots of fun. Mm. Great fun to watch. All of it matters. Yeah. And this is our next point of this didn't feel like they were pandering to fans and it didn't feel like they were just trying to do what everyone wanted. There was just so much, like, respect and love in this movie. And I think the mm. fans really felt that and reacted to it. Yeah. Fans want this stuff. We want to, and, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that we know we want. You know, we want to see the things from previous movies referenced. We want to see the, like, we've got to find a way to work together and not get in each other's way kind of storyline. And we get one, um, but we don't just get one because they're like, okay, we'll stop getting in each other. It's like, no, actually, these three Spider-Men, part of their story is they've all kind of been alone. And actually them getting to come together as brothers provides a lot of closure for each of them. Or like just a real quick example. Yes, it's fun to see Charlie Cox show up as Daredevil. Mm. He has an impact on the plot because he resolves the Mysterio stuff for Peter. Mm. Which I remember watching that initially and being like, oh, they they wrapped up Mysterio so fast. Like, I thought that was going to be the premise of this movie. I'm glad it wasn't. I liked what we got instead. I I think that was probably one of my only criticisms coming Mm. out was like, oh, they've just kind of gotten rid of the Mysterio stuff. I wish, like... Yeah. You can't do both, and I'm glad that they made a choice to do what they did. But I can also... Like, Act 1 felt like they squeezed a lot in very quickly because they had to, to do what they did. Yes. But I think also just with stuff mattering, like... Things like, so like having Charlie Cox come in means that actually we, that's also bringing in like the Netflix shows to the canon. So that means that actually Jessica Jones is around somewhere and Luke Cage is around somewhere and we can pretend that Iron Fist still doesn't exist. Uh, But all of of that has now been brought into the MCU officially. Um, And that matters to fans. Like we're like, oh, okay, that gives us something to like be aware of for the future. The line of, like, Garfield and Electro are talking to each other. And it's like, I'm sure there's a black Spider-Man out there somewhere. And it's like, it's a nod to Miles Morales, who at the moment only has the animated movie, which is phenomenal. But- May shop. Because Donald Glover p- plays his uncle in Homecoming. Ah. Yeah. Wait, is he in Homecoming? He's the guy that Spider-Man uh, webs to the car and questions. He's like, come on, man, I got yeah, ice cream yeah, yeah. in the back. So he's Miles Morales's uncle. I didn't realize there was that connection. Yeah. So that's like a little hint of maybe there is a Miles. Yeah. Somewhere in this universe. Because I know originally Miles Morales, like part of the inspiration for the character was like Spider-Man fans were like, oh, we want to see a black Spider-Man, but we want to see like Donald Glover as Spider-Man. Yes. And that's kind of where Miles Morales came from. Um, Well, the idea of putting him in the MCU came from. And I think so putting Donald Glover in the movie was like a little nod to that as well. Yeah. So I'm just going to give a counter example Mm. real quick. Uh, The ending of The Rise of Skywalker, where Rey takes Luke and Leia's lightsabers, buries them on Tatooine, and then calls herself Rey Skywalker. Skywalker doesn't mean a lot to her. No. Um, Both Han and Leia were more influential role models to her than Luke was. Yeah. And also, Leia has no connection to Tatooine, and Luke spent his entire youth wanting to escape Tatooine. It's there purely to be like, hey, fans, remember this. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make sense. And it's not true to character. Mm. And Spider-Man No Way Home does the exact opposite. And at no point did I feel there was something in there that didn't fit or didn't Mm. matter. It all, as the flip side, it made sense. 
it fit and it was true to character. Yes. And I've talked about in previous episodes how I love like the no opportunity too small mm. approach. And little things like there's the Lego Death Star from Homecoming is on the table yeah. next to Dummy from Iron Man. And then the thing May thinks is a tanning bed is mm. the machine that built Peter's suit from yeah. uh, Far From Home. Yeah. So I love how John Favreau, I think, is now the actor that has been in the MCU the longest from property to property. Oh, really? Because we haven't seen Rhodey since The Falcon and the Winter Soldier and we haven't seen Paul Bettany since WandaVision now. So now it's John Favreau. Yeah. There you go. I also noted the they didn't take easy shots for the like sad parts of the movie. So like, you know, we want we want some tears. We we don't like them, but we do like them. But like they could have just killed off Toby or Andrew. They could have. They could have had a Spider-Man death and it would have been sad and devastating. But it also would have kind of been cheap. Because it would have taken away from Tom's sacrifice yeah. at the end. Mm. Instead, we, we lose Aunt May. Yeah, which is huge. That's such a sad scene. And then actually Toby and Andrew have to then help Holland get over the anger of that, that he, you know, he just wants to kill Green Goblin. Which is very, this is quite new for it's Holland's new, character because he's always been like, oh no, I don't want instant kill. And yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's crazy. I just want to fight crime and be mm. friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. For him to be like, I want to kill someone yeah. is huge. And Aunt May's death scene sad. But what actually makes me tear up is when he's crying on the roof and you just have Ned and MJ just yeah. like come from either sides and just wrap him up. Mm. Even sad on a rewatch because you know you're going to lose them by the end yeah. of the movie. And then the like conversation with MJ at the end. I, I did like like kind of committing to the consequences. Like I have no doubt that MJ and Ned are going to come back at some point in the future. That's just the way these things are. But like the fact that it wasn't like MJ didn't have like this little glimmer of like, oh, I kind of remember you. Uh, I feel like that's the cheesy movie thing to do. But it was like, no, she doesn't remember it. We're going to commit. And. Also, Tom is going to commit to his character arc mm. and be like, I actually think these people are going to be better off without me. Yeah. I need to give up Peter Parker in order to go be Spider-Man. Which is devastating. That's very sad. <laughs> Poor Tom. And like, because we talked about Captain America, how you start with someone who is really good mm. and they stay good throughout this. How do you make that interesting? And I was like, Peter Parker, he does get a positive change arc. But he's, like, so good and wholesome yeah. all the way through. So really pushing him to make those self-sacrificial choices is hard, especially when you really relate to, of course, he just wants to be, like, a normal teenager sometimes mm. and hang out with his girlfriend and he his friends. just wants to go to college and, like... They're very relatable, yeah. understandable goals. Also very understandable is going to the a sorcerer to make everyone forget instead of making a phone call. Yeah. <laughs> I, too, would make that choice, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> when Doctor Strange is like, you haven't called <laughs> that. Uh. I like Stephen Strange as a side character. I like him fine in his own movie, mm. but I think as a side character, he's, he's amazing. He's one of the best. Like Infinity War and this movie, I yes. He just he bounces off every other character so well. Like Thor, Iron Man, Spider Man, like. 
all the other characters he's come across, the dynamic has always been entertaining. There's like a nice blend of like arrogance, but wants to do the right thing, mm. which I find interesting. And so talking about things that mattered. Okay. I love that fight scene between Spider-Man and Doctor Strange. Yes. That's so cool and creative, but we know what the stakes are and it's the box. Mm. And the interesting thing I find about that fight scene at that point, I'm not entirely on Peter's side. Yeah. I get where Doctor Strange is coming from. Doctor Strange makes complete sense. Like, yeah. Like, you're like, yeah, multiverse is at stake. Doctor Strange's whole goal is to not put the multiverse at stake. So, of course, he's like, he is going to do what he can to stop it. And But the fight is just so entertaining. And like, the, yes. Yeah, yeah. And Peter Parker wins because he knows math. <laughs> Which is very Peter. I like it. Right. Uh, oh, when he comes back, he's like, I've been dangling over the Grand Canyon. And is that Andrew? It's one of them. It's Andrew Toby. It's like, oh, we could have used your help, man. Like, why are we at <laughs> <Yeah>. the Grand Canyon? <laughs> one of the other fun things that they did, which you, I don't know, you, you got some psychic powers going on um, there. Okay, so about a month or so, actually two months before this movie came out, I wrote a fanfic in which Ned gets Doctor Strange powers. And I did it for the exact same reason um, this movie does, which is having a character who can portal from place to place is so convenient <laughs> because you don't need to worry about travel times. Yeah. <laughs> you can just pull people into scenes. Uh, my one I had, like, Peter had to go around, like, an alternate universe and find all these other places. Um, so just having a portal power. Yeah. Very convenient. And of course, Ned would get them. And Ned got them. Yeah. When that when that happened, I like punched my partner's arm who was sitting next to me. I was like, I put that in a fanfic two months ago. <laughs> Thank you to everyone who also then wrote in to me on Tumblr or AO3 and also said that. Yeah. Um, talking about fanfic, this movie kind of felt fanficy, which for me, I is mean it as a compliment. Mm. Um, it carried a lot of that, like the conversations that you would get in fanfic that you don't typically get yeah, time but for. Yeah, a lot of fanfic is like, what if these two characters did interact, number yeah. one, and two, can we do a better ending than canon? Mm. That's also what a lot of fanfic is. And I argue this movie did both. Yeah. With the slight change of a fanfic will generally have a happy ending. Mm. I don't think that works in canon. I think canon, you need that bit of sweetness. Yeah. Um, or like we watched another, we both love the show Our Flag Means Death. Yes. Which also feels very fanficy to me. Mm. Um, I won't ruin the ending, but it has that thing I just said. And I just, I don't know. I feel like there are certain filmmakers out there like Taika Waititi who are beginning to understand what fans actually want. Mm. And I'll also put out there, maybe not just the typical superhero and, you know, fans, i.e. teenage boys, want. Yeah. And they're extending a little bit further and understanding who their audience is beyond that. Yeah, because there's massive audience beyond that yes um yeah and also just i feel like i don't know there's more courage to kind of go outside of the box with the movies and i think the success of marvel post phase two i think when they mm. started getting doing more interesting things like um ant-man has edgar wright still written on it even though he had left the project um, you've got Taika Waititi doing Thor Ragnarok, like just these really heavily styled, like clearly that director's hand is at play. Yeah, I just saw Multiverse of Madness, which has, it's very Sam Raimi, like evil dead Sam Raimi, which mm. is really cool. I haven't seen that in a Marvel movie before. Yeah, but um, I think just leaning into those like, and that's something that the comics do that hadn't been done in the movies up until that point is just like, you get the different writers and illustrators who 
draw differently and they're drastically different styles of comics. And so Doctor Strange and, you know, Iron Man feel wildly different because of who's helming them. And you just started to get more of those different tastes as we came into um, phase three and then, you know, going into phase four and the TV shows, we're starting to get a lot of yeah, that. You've got like WandaVision or like mm. we're watching Moonlight at the moment, yeah. uh, which has some really interesting stuff with the gods going on. But I also liked how even when they brought in like Tom Holland and Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man movies, very different. Wildly different. But you... To- uh, Tom, uh, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man movies are really campy. They're so campy. Like... And nostalgic. Yeah. And it's like, I, I often forget, they're like, oh, yeah, anything co- comic book superhero back then was pretty campy, um, but they were especially campy. And then you bring in, like, Doc Ock and Green Goblin mm. into this, and the MCU has always been a bit tongue-in-cheek, very self-referential. Yeah. I think that works for them. Mm. Um, like, there's that scene in Loki where Loki's like, this is ridiculous, the multiverse is ridiculous. And Owen Wilson is like, you're a frost giant. <laughs> like, da, da, da. And it's basically just a little nod to the audience. On Civil War, Sam goes, everyone's got a gimmick these days. Yeah. There's enough of like that. We understand this is a bit silly yeah, yeah. in there. None of that in Toby's. And yet when we pop Green Goblin and Doc Ock into this movie, they feel like the same character, but they still work in the MCU, mm. which I thought was like an amazing feat. Yeah. Marvel's always been good at that, though. Like, look at Avengers compare like Iron Man and Thor and even Captain America, they managed to get those characters into one movie and mm. make it feel cohesive. Yeah. And not blending all these weird like genres together. So yeah, yeah that same. was another cool thing. It, it all matched up and they managed to make it match and feel like Spider-Man and the MCU yeah. all at once. So why don't we wrap up? Because that's been just uh, us gushing over No Way yes. Home. But there have been points that we've been trying to make yes. within there. <laughs> and we, most of our listeners are probably not trying to do fan service no. just yet. So what can like new writers and newer filmmakers learn from fan service and No Way Home? So I think point one, make it part of something bigger. There needs to be a whole story with strong themes, strong characters that guides the majority of the film and all the fan service needs to fit around that. Point number two. I just put love, respect and sincerity. In Hawkeye, Kate gives a bit of a speech to Clint about how people, I actually think this is a dig at DC, but she makes a point of like, people don't want dark and brooding these days. They want sincerity and heart on the sleeve, Mm. which I think is true. And I think that's the reason shows like, for example, like Ted Lasso and The Good Place are so popular. Mm. And it's something Marvel does very well. And yes, this movie knows what it is, but it's just filled with love. And it's not mocking anything from the previous Spider-Man movies. Oh. And it's handling those properties and previous Marvel properties. Mm. I really liked how they didn't do Tony Stark in this. Yeah. Um, I feel like that would have been easy to bring in, but they did that in Far From Home. And we just got a lovely little nod with Happy at the gravestone at the end. Yeah. So handling everything with, like I said, love, respect, and sincerity. And, like, the actors do that, too. Like, if you look at behind the scenes, they were all so on board for this movie, which I understand is partly marketing. Um, But, But yeah, everyone brings their A game when doing performances for this movie. No Mm. one is phoning it in. Yeah. I mean, I think that really nails it. Like, I think you had in your notes, this movie doesn't make you feel bad for being a fan. It, like, really, it loves you for being a fan. Yeah, I really felt that. And I felt that through most of Marvel. There was a little bit in the Doctor Strange, the newest Doctor Strange movie, which I won't go into spoilers for, 
but there was a little bit in there which I felt like I was being mocked a little bit being mm. a Marvel fan and that made me quite upset because Marvel's never done that and mm. that's one of the reasons I've like stayed by Marvel I'm like they really love their fans and want to give back to their fans I felt that in Endgame I felt that in this movie yeah and part of that just comes from really knowing their characters and letting their actors and their directors know their characters, which is kind of where the fanfic aspect comes yeah. in for me because the fandom really, really knows the characters. Mm. The last point I would say is just that taking time to actually make a movie that is like this and it is like, this is just for the fans. Like, we're going to put that out there. We're going to spend, the, you know, probably like $300 million or however much it cost making this movie and then we're going to have, you know, Toby and Andrew working out Toby's uh, little back issues. So, Andrew is Toby's chiropractor and Toby is Andrew's therapist. It's a very important exchange. Yes. <laughs> and then I just had, as always, we always come back to this, but understand your theme, understand your message and find the most interesting thing you can say, the most interesting way to tell it. Even if it's a comic, even if it's a comic book movie filled with quips and lizard men. That was episode two of our Marvel Madness series. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed No Way Home. If you liked the episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe on your platform of choice. We've got another four Marvel episodes coming your way over the next few months, including What If, WandaVision, and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. If you want to say hi or share your thoughts, we're on Instagram and Facebook, so feel free to drop us a line. Until next time, this has been Kill the Cat. Three is the magic number. <laughs>